0: Hey, this is Sam Hells, presenter and producer of The Profile Podcast. Over the next few weeks, we're bringing you these bonus episodes where my colleague, Andy Peck, chats to the best and brightest experts on Christian leadership. Andy has spent 17 years conducting these brilliant conversations. We're bringing you the very best of them in these special midweek editions of The Profile Podcast. Andy Peck, over to you. (music)
1: Welcome to the show that helps you lead according to God's purposes. I recall a conversation with a church leader who admitted that although discipleship was on his church website, he didn't actually have a plan to accomplish it. Yes, he hoped that the regular services of worship, consistent Bible teaching and small group program might be helpful, but he confessed that he really wasn't sure they were doing an especially good job. Well, Rick Hill has written a book for my friend and leaders like him. Indeed, anyone who wants to take seriously Christ's call. He's a discipleship and leadership development officer for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. The book is entitled Deep Roots of Resilient Disciples Principles and Practices for a Life of Lasting Faith. And the book outlines key areas he believes we need to focus on. So, welcome, Rick, to the Leadership Show. Thanks, Andy, for having me. Great to join with you. Um, so with such a book, I have to start by asking about your own discipleship journey.
2: Yeah, that's a great place to start, I have to say, Andy. Um, I think i probably tell us differently now than I would have 10 years ago. So maybe then, 10 years ago, I would have told you how I grew up in church and rebelled as a teenager and then had a dramatic encounter with God and gave my life to Jesus and the trajectory of my life utterly changed. And I think much of that is true. Um And I probably would have started by describing my discipleship journey then from that point and talked about, you know, my spiritual growth from there. I think with the benefit of hindsight, I now realize just how much spiritual formation had taken place in my heart and in my life from an early age. Yes, lots of spiritual formation through the home, through the church. And then I suppose in my late teens, faith came alive for me. And it came alive through two key factors, I think, looking back, and there were some significant examples of Christian leaders who came close to me. I suppose modelled faith to me in a in a way that I could really see and understand, and you know was this um, was a vibrant way as well, but in a personal way. And then the other factor was just through being actively involved in frontier missions. So I suppose I had this burning desire to share Jesus with others, and, and maybe look back and smile at who I was, read sort of seventeen or eighteen. I, at times probably overzealous maybe enthusiastic. at times I look back and cringe but other times I look back and I think I'd love to recapture some of that as well so um so yeah and I think because of that maybe passing Zayla I just found myself then in leadership positions very quickly as a young Christian so in church and in school and in, in, in summer mission not because of maybe ability but just maybe availability i was there i was present and and i think then spiritual formation took on a different dimension as a maybe as a young leader you know being part of service being part of environments where where faith was was present and i I learned from others in that environment too.
1: um and, and you you're um i introduced you as the leadership uh sorry discipleship and leadership development officer for the presbyterian church in ireland um just uh, just briefly presbyterian church is uh, fairly infrequent in this side of the irish sea so um yeah. remind me of some of the distinctives
2: yeah i mean this was the largest denomination in ireland so 500 plus congregations. so in some ways it's got real historical traditional roots um, some large some small some medium-sized churches but it's fairly broad in terms of style and form. I think maybe what's more prominent are maybe more traditional models of worship. There are some contemporary as well. I guess generally it's, so it's Reformed theology, strong emphasis in the Bible and on preaching based on kind of shared leadership where churches are led by groups of elders alongside a minister who leads them and and so key decisions such as you know selecting elders, appointing ministers—they're actually made by the membership, of the congregation themselves. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, historical strength, maybe in some places struggling a little bit with decline and maybe ageing profile, but actually, that you know that's not true of many either. Um,
1: so we need to define the terms. You're written a book, resilient disciples. Uh, both those words, I guess, have a little need for a bit of definition. So perhaps you can. Share uh, how you see them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I probably need to say I'm not the first person to use this term and and use the term resilient disciples. For me, the launchpad for this came out of some research that Barna conducted in the US a few years ago, particularly focused on the 18 to 35 age group. So, some of the stats that came out then didn't really make for great reading about uh, you know the large numbers of of that generation who dropped out of church and faith altogether. Um, and just outside that age bracket, so I suppose reading that it, it, it's, it intrigues me and interests me. And um, so they, they first they, they had an early book actually called "You Lost Me," and it focused on the issues that I suppose had caused the drop off of faith, and there were a number. But a couple of years ago, they released what I thought was maybe a more help, hopeful and helpful book called "Faith for Exiles," and it analyzed kind of research that they conducted several years later specifically on those who retain their faith and continue to follow Jesus. And to describe this group, they used the term resilient disciples. And they had this really interesting phrase about cultural Babylon and uh, or digital Babylon, sorry, and, and kind of to describe the kind of arena that I think that age group or this generation carry their faith in. I suppose I was grabbed by this idea of what causes resilience and what helps to grow, develop that. Um, in in, in one sense I've become interested in this maybe out of a frustration and seeing large numbers of my own generation and below drop out of church and Christian faith over the last decade so uh, before this role you know I come from a background of working in youth ministry and so I've seen many teenagers and 20-somethings start well only for them to maybe seemingly move away from Jesus uh, at some point and I suppose that's troubled me and it's caused me to consider what really helps to develop faith for the long haul. And,
1: you know, sure. you, you mentioned, um you know, you had peers who'd, who'd struggled and drifted away. What would be the the key barriers to developing a a wholehearted following of Jesus in your, in your view?
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say there's one root cause or anything. I, I, I probably see a lot of it. One actually is around maybe even suffering and how, what do we do whenever we're faced with suffering for the first time or something, you know, crisis, I think often crisis moments, tests, trials can become crisis moments for people who follow Jesus and maybe in the backdrop of everything's going okay. And, and something happens, maybe suffering or, or some sort of test or trial. Or, so I think there's something around having a, developing a theology and an understanding of suffering or even discipleship involves cost. Um, I think one of the key barriers, maybe I've already mentioned it, but the strength of society's discipleship is strong. So we're not the only ones being discipled. Uh, So it doesn't just happen in the church, it happens everywhere and probably through osmosis as much as anything, I think. So I think a key barrier is maybe actually a lack of biblical Christian worldview, particularly among younger generations, those who start further away from the church, maybe even urban environments where the pull of the city is strong, you know, I think, Many people don't come with that same foundation of biblical understanding. And so we're starting with ground at ground zero with, with some and, and maybe even deconstructing some assumptions. And, and maybe just one other key barrier is a lack of intentionality and spiritual formation. So I had a conversation with uh, Pastor John Tyson last year, who's based in New York, and he commented that he thinks that we're we've fallen asleep at the wheel when it comes to parenting and raising our faith and kids. And um, and I think actually I can resonate with that you know whether it's with the younger generation or those new or young in faith or whatever I think discipleship takes us to be intentional with people so no, it's not just here's some information from the distance but it's here's a personal example up close to imitate and I'm, I'm not sure we're we're being as intentional as we could be in, in that kind of area which which then I think causes maybe people to
1: Rick, the 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 tool, as I suggested with, um, with my illustration of, my, of a friend, is is for yeah. most churches is is the gathered community, regular preaching, um, worship, maybe small groups. Um, but the reality, of course, is that a lot of local churches are trying to do a lot of things in in the Sunday service with people at very different ends of the spectrum. Now, you might, I'm just wondering how you begin to help each of those people move on or whether actually it's part of a bigger program um, than just the service. And actually you're, you're unwise to try and do too much in that gathering.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You you might not be surprised for me to say, I think there's an element of both and rather than either. So I do think some days, you know, or certainly the church gathering is crucial in, in terms of uh, uh, giving people a point in the week where you can, you know deliver teaching and and, and just gathering community and and you know again the strength of society's discipleship is strong so i think we need that that regular point in the week where where we can do that but i think it's also strong in the way that one hour a kind of a diet of sunday christianity or churchianity even you know one hour in a week isn't enough to really form people and so I, you know, I would say in the training I deliver, churches, as I mentioned earlier, were kind of high view of preaching and um, high view of worship in, in many ways, or certainly the gathered worship. Um, actually, it's both and. Um, and you, we do need, I believe in preaching, but I think we need to go beyond it and we need to create environments where people can share their faith with others and have faith modeled to them. Uh, where they can learn and, and rub shoulders with others up close. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think one thing that's helpful is to frame discipleship not just as a thing you need to do all of a sudden at the point of conversion, but to call everyone on the journey of moving closer to Jesus. And you kind of hinted on the, the wide range of people who might make up a Sunday gathering. And I wonder if just shifting our language, our mindset from not who's in and who's out, but, you know, how, how are you actively seeking to walk with Jesus? And I think that is a shift, certainly here in Northern Irish evangelicalism, you know, but not not being so hung up on who's in and who's out, but ensuring we're providing an opportunity for everyone to grow, no matter what, where they are. And, and there's a helpful model called Four Chair Discipling, as I've come across that, that talks about you know, different invitations that Jesus gave. As they talk about kind of four steps of a journey to spiritual maturity, so come and see, and then come and follow, go and make, and then bear fruit I think from John 15 is the last one and I have find that a good way of assessing the different challenges and invitations we can provide for that kind of mixed economy of spiritual maturity and, and you'll see threads of that in, in what I've written in terms of those four different invitations. While
1: well, you're listening to The Leadership Show I'm joined this week by Rick Hill he's the Discipleship and Leadership Development Officer for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland and we're talking about his book and themes from the book uh, Resilient uh, Disciples uh so Rick um obviously many people will look at the gospels as a um as a place where you can derive your understanding of discipleship obviously it's about disciples following jesus um, some Some people have looked at that and say yeah but it's it's a very unique situation. There was a physical Jesus who they were following it was a covenant people of israel um and and translating that to say the streets of belfast or newton abbey or wherever where you are um is is a tougher journey and i just just wondered if you can just reflect on that with us um in terms of 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 how whether whether paul's teaching actually is is more helpful in terms of discipleship than jesus
2: yeah can i say both and again uh, <laughs> please do i mean it's interesting you said many looked at the gospels as a tool for a disciple making. and i I might argue we don't look there enough. Well,
1: yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, There is
2: something around the model and the method of Jesus and how he discipled that I think we've maybe looked more to, I don't know, to, uh, models of church or models yeah. of, you know, uh, you know, kind of styles and ways of doing things that that actually we haven't gone back to the roots enough. So how, you know, in terms of how Jesus really lived among and, uh, walked with and actually gave challenge and opportunity to his disciples to, to grow and to do things so I think there's a level that I mean I do think then some of the language that Paul uses in terms of discipleship where he your family metaphor you know nursing mothers and first Thessalonians 2 and we loved you so much that we share with you the gospel and our lives and um, and this kind of apprenticeship model which I think is really really helpful around discipleship as well and um, how does it relate to 21st century people I think that's part of the challenge and um, how do we do discipleship in a way that doesn't just create holy huddles and, and particularly maybe shape Christians in a way where they're just better informed but with no sense of how to engage with the world around them I think there is a challenge there and one of the key chapters I think in the book talks about how, you know our engagement in culture and I think there is something about developing a sense of you know certainly here We've a church planted. We've planted in the city centre of Belfast in the last three or four years. I was involved in the, the leadership team in the early stages of that. And I suppose what we thought was we wanted to begin with a purposeful community that acts almost like a red hot centre that draws people in and then equips them to carry their faith into all the different strands and spheres of life they contribute to and lead to. So it's not so much. And I told this to our church a couple of weeks ago. I said we're not just interested in getting getting people in the door who can do things for us, but we want to be a church that equips people for what they do out there. And I think that's a shift. And, you know, I suppose the church, to pick up one of the, you know, the early church, the church in Antioch was marked by kind of this dynamism and depth, but it actually spilled out in the pioneering mission and church planting. And so there's something about this kind of red hot center and, I'd say maybe a sense of having a sense of community, but community with a purpose. I think that certainly engages younger generation. And also, say there's something about rhythms and habits. So, if the culture in the city has a strong pull, how are we leading into disciplines that form us into the pattern and the practices of Jesus? And again, I, I touch on that in, in a chapter in the book around sort of spiritual habits and disciplines. that, actually create depth to so the little tagline of the book is deep roots of resilient disciples so it's this idea of um, actually that we need to invest in what's below the surface and not just in what we see above the surface of our lives you know, that's that everyone else sees
1: okay, that that helpfully takes us to my uh, question i was going to ask n- namely um the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices different languages used by different authors yeah. uh, but clearly that's something that that you value and i think probably the evangelical church has um has got away from some of its um problem with language around that because of its concerns um you know with all due respect to our catholic brethren you know for some evangelicals that was an issue you know they didn't want to um have a kind of Catholic outlook which they 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 deemed uh, unhelpful um, but clearly the church you know through the centuries including pre-reformation were practicing certain ways of engaging with God and, and Jesus so are there particular ones that you have, have would value yourself personally
2: yeah yeah there are and um, so I, I picked this up in, in the book there, there are lots and um, I guess for the sake of the sake of time, maybe both in this podcast and also sure. in the book itself. I, I don't, it's not an exhaustive study on spiritual mm-hmm. habits and disciplines. In fact, I, uh, I pick out five that, that uh, I explore in a little bit more detail. Um, and the five, if I can remember them, are uh, scripture or, or how we engage with the Bible. Um, prayer, talk about fasting as well. Um, Sabbath, which I'll mention a little bit more in a moment. Uh, as well um, I can't remember the fifth one just uh, just offhand here as we're chatting so, um, so maybe I doesn't think this is important. Uh, is it
1: si- silence and solitude would that be that's it thank
2: you so much Anna. You've, you've read you've read ahead that's, that's great <laughs> yeah silence and solitude are that kind of idea of patterns of retreat as well but um you asked in terms of personally um, so some of them like bible reading and prayer are probably the go-to answers. Um, but they they they've been consistently part of my life ever since childhood and particularly Bible engagement. And I prefer that phrase maybe than Bible reading. So uh, Bible engagement continues to be one of the most formational for me. So allowing scripture to continually shape my thinking and practice hearing from God afresh, meeting God in every page, every story, you know, every, every, every verse. And I think maybe more recently Sabbath has become more key for me Um, think more broadly and the church has become more key too uh, for a couple of reasons uh, maybe personally it's always it was often a negative idea that was based around uh, maybe an upbringing where i couldn't do things and uh, maybe it felt certainly in a northern irish context it felt like a legalistic thing sabbath and so you know in some ways you want to emphasize freedom and uh, grace and uh, all the things that we can do and not just the things we can't do and uh, I wonder if Sabbath has become for me more of a gift, especially in a strained and a busy world where I realize that actually Jesus wants, the thing that he wants most is my attention and affection and intimacy more than just my activism and activity. And so that involves, you know, pausing and stopping and resting and ceasing. And I think it is becoming more, more foundational in the aftermath of a pandemic too, both in terms of whether we, you know, whether we will prioritise engagement in a church community or not. So is Sunday, what marks Sunday or Sabbath out is different. And also then in terms of whether we truly embrace rest uh, as well in in God. Uh, I've been most challenged recently then by the practice of fasting. And just to be very honest, it's not something I've engaged in lots over the years. And it's probably the one I find most uncomfortable because perhaps it Something about there is something about cost and and sacrifice inherent in that spiritual discipline. But this past year, I've been journeying a little bit more into that. Firstly, to be just in reading and understanding that better, and then in in beginning to step into that over the last few months and and, uh, tentatively. But that's been uh, those are those are all kind of some of the things that have been important. But it it, just underlines this kind of idea of depth, I suppose, trying to find this idea of depth. It's not just in what we do.
1: Well, it's actually in who we're becoming, as well. Thanks, Rick. And um, obviously, if you're thinking of fasting, do check things out medically. Uh, it's worth just adding that <laughs> for anyone's, listen, anyone's listening. Just, there are there are some people who cannot fast for for good medical reasons, and and don't worry, the Lord's not um, not going to give you a hard time over it. So that's 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 life. But I mean, there's other obviously that's physical. That's um, fasting from yeah. food and drink. There's other things you fast from, of course. Yeah. And actually it's picking up that
2: actually little that little line of a phrase of digital Babylon that I mentioned earlier on of actually, you know, is there a time where we say no to the world's influence in terms of how it's shaping and forming us? So will I so I have adopted a practice where I try to put my phone in a drawer for one hour a day, one day a week, and I have uh, yeah, and we one one week in the year I haven't quite got to, but that's that's in the head. Um, but actually, you know, in terms of we're saying no to the influence because it's keeping us and forming us, and, and so sort of, yeah, there are other ways.
1: So, because we as we come to the conclusion of our our chat, um, how, how does um, who who are the people that have influenced you most in in your own thinking about all this kind of material?
2: I, I mean, influenced my own thinking most generally are probably the people who've. I've known and observed up close, so in terms of leadership, probably my dad, still leading this church, serving relentlessly, serving hard at wise, you know, all of that, and I I suppose that's where faith faith is best modeled up close, and so then to go further in terms of maybe discipleship, I think of two bosses, my first two bosses in Christian ministry, so a general director I had at Scripture Union called Helen Warnock, who's heart and passion was just infectious and her wisdom helpful but she pushed me she was always pushing me to kind of up my game or sharpen my practices and she used the phrase always wear your L plates with pride and it was this idea that we are all learners and we're constantly learners and of course the root word for the word disciple is mathetez which means student or learner and it's this idea that that is the heart of discipleship and and then you know, so actually there's always more to, more room for growth. And in a local church context, then it was a minister, and he a, a, you know, managed me when I was a youth worker, John Dickinson, who, you know, courage, risk-taking, love for the church, and he put mission at the centre, and it was this idea that we're not to retreat, but we're actually to engage in culture. And, you know, there was significant renewal and development and, and kind of seasoning in, in the life of our church. So all of those things have shaped and influenced me um of course so yeah I'm probably more inspired and impressed by local leaders if I'm honest who I can see up close but there have been specific things I've picked up from a variety of layers from afar certainly in the areas of discipleship so the, the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually around the cost of discipleship and there's there's definitely there's a chapter there in the book about the cost of discipleship that you'll see the kind of influences of Bonhoeffer in it um, um, and then maybe just one other influence, I think, has been just being part of, and I have no specific names for this, but just being part of over the years, being part of different networks or groups that have been invited into or had the chance to uh, speak into. Um,
1: think- well, Rick, it's been terrific to, to chat with you and since you're your heart for this key area that that certainly church leaders, but all of us in leadership need to be focusing on. Um, the, who, who publishes the book and how can people get a copy?
2: Yeah, no, great practical questions. The book's published by Timeless Publications, who are a, a local... A small local publishing company here in Northern Ireland, and um, so the book is called "Deep Roots of Resilient Disciples," and it's finding its way in the whole variety of local Christian bookshops. And I'd really encourage you, I suppose, to support their ministry by asking for it there. And um, so will be—I um, haven't gone down the Amazon route yet. That might come in the future, but um, partly because of what I've just said. But it can also be ordered directly from my website, which is www.rick-hill.com. So rick-hill.com, um, and there's a launch price discount on it for a limited time, so there you go. That's the- Oh,
1: fabulous. Okay. okay, well, we'll get our copy there. So,
2: yeah, directly or from local. local
1: okay. Well, Rick, thank you so much for all that you shared.
2: Not at all. Pleasure to be with you, Andy. Thank you.
1: That was my conversation with Rick Hill. He spoke of the fact that we're all being discipled all the time. Our culture is impressing itself upon us in various ways. And our job as leaders is to first follow Jesus and then with him critique all that comes our way and bring it under his leadership or jettison it entirely. So as you live this week ahead, may you know God's grace to follow Jesus more closely and call others to follow him too this is andy peck thanking you for your company and looking forward to you joining me
0: next week bye for now thank you andy for bringing us that great interview this week on the profile podcast this show is brought to you by the uk's leading christian magazine premier christianity if you enjoyed this episode you are sure to love the magazine which features news analysis opinion on all that god is doing in the uk church and beyond Check out brand new articles published every day on the biggest issues facing the church and the world at premierchristianity.com. We'll be back on Friday with another in-depth conversation with a leading Christian right here on The Profile Podcast. Join us then.